Let's hear from today's reading. The reading of God's word comes today from Luke 21, verse 27 through 33. It says, and then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. I also want to say hello to all of you who are watching online and on television. For those of you in the room, can you please give our online television audience a big hand? Also, I want to say welcome to some very special guests that we have. Most of uh, them have left already, but you know that we are proud to be a part of the Free Methodist Church, and we're in the Southeast region in the Free Methodist Church. And we have our superintendent, Mike McAvoy, uh, his wife and daughter with us, also Des, who works there as well. Would you guys mind standing up, if you don't mind, so we can acknowledge you guys? Thank you for your great work. Thank you, guys. You're probably aware of the events that have been taking place uh, in Israel, and you uh, may be aware that uh, 43 of us were set to leave tomorrow for Israel. Uh, that trip has been postponed, uh, but there is a lot going on over there. And as we sit here today in a climate-controlled room far away from a conflict, uh, I think part of what the Lord does is he, he draws our hearts to these situations that we're aware of, and he calls on us to intercede and pray. And so I want to pray for that as we get started today. And our text, I think appropriately, even lends itself to uh, the events that are taking place over there and have been taking place for a long time. And so as we uh, start and open up God's word and ask him to speak to us, let's also lift up the people in a, a war-torn area. So let's pray. Father, we come to you in this moment. We are thankful and we're grateful because you are on the throne. You are holy, holy, holy. And for that, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you for displaying your holiness and your glory. And Lord, we come to this moment and uh, we thank you for the Southeast Region Conference. We thank you for Superintendent Mike. We thank you for these people that you've strategically placed to help lead us forward as we continue to grow your kingdom. But Lord, we also lift up a people that is experiencing immense devastation right now. Lord, this is a very complicated situation. You know that more than we do. But this is a situation that needs divine intervention. It needs something that the greatest minds in the world cannot offer. So Lord, would you do what we cannot, but also would you raise up your church? Would you call us and raise us up that we too may be agents of hope and healing in this world? And Lord, we trust you with what we see. We trust you, even though we see it. So Lord, would you rule and reign? as only you can. And Lord, now we ask that you would speak to us. 
Lord, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the word that you have for us this morning, and may we receive it with joy. Lord, we love you. We really do, and we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you. We find ourselves in a series where we're studying the life of Jesus for an entire year, and we've been in Luke's gospel for many, many months. We're close to bringing that to a close. That'll happen at the end of November. But last Wednesday night and last Sunday, we were in Luke 21. And here we see Jesus is giving a description to his disciples of what's going to take place leading up to his second advent, his second coming. And he's revealing to them the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. This past Wednesday night, in case you were not here, I'll catch you up. In Luke 21, there are three particular signs that we're going to see that the end is beginning. First, there are going to be signs within and around the church. We see that false prophets and false teachers and antichrist, plural, are going to rise. We see that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be actual wars, but also rumors of other wars and confusion There's going to be natural disasters. Christians are going to be persecuted. Families are going to turn against each other, and there's going to be martyrdom. And not only that, there's going to be mass hatred toward Christians. Verse 17 of chapter 21, Jesus tells them, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not only are there going to be signs in and around the church, there's also going to be signs in Jerusalem itself. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by her enemies in verse 20. The people of Jerusalem are going to be scattered, verses 21 and 22. And then there's going to be this time of the Gentiles. And we say, when is that? The time of the Gentiles that we see Jesus talk about in Luke 21 actually started when Babylon, so think 2 Kings, when Babylon took Israel into captivity, and that time continued all the way down to the Roman occupation that Jesus and his disciples were living under, all the way down to today. But one day, we see in Revelation 18, 21, one day Babylon will fall, and Babylon will fall at the second coming of the sun. And again, Jesus is preparing them. He's telling them, when you see these signs, you know that the end is beginning. And of course, this generation saw that end begin in 70 AD when Israel is surrounded by by the Roman army. They are sieged in the horrible pictures of that moment. This generation saw it begin. But not only are there going to be signs in and around the church, and not only are there going to be signs in Jerusalem, but third, there are going to be signs in Israel and beyond. And even in the conscience of the people, we see in verses 25 through 26 that fear is going to grip the world like never before that people will even faint because of fear. And all the shaking that is going to take place, this spiritual shaking in the heavens is going to happen. And again, Jesus is saying this is a sign that the end is beginning. But one of the things that Jesus is communicating to his disciples here as well is not just what are the signs, but Jesus is also communicating to his disciples how they are to live and how they are to respond in the last days. People ask the question a lot, when are the last days? Are we in the last days? In order to see that, all we have to do is go to the early chapters of the book of Acts, and we see Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And it's Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost when he declares that a prophecy from Joel has been fulfilled, and he says, in these last days, God has poured out his Spirit on all flesh. We have this marker of the beginning of the last days at Peter's sermon and on this day in Pentecost. And Peter declared the last days have begun. 
Jesus, again, is telling his disciples this is going to happen. And so like any good leader, he's preparing his followers so that they will know how to live. So that they will know how to be about the Father's business as the Father is bringing a close to human history and the Father is sending his Son into the world that we would see him in his fullness and experience the fullness of a heavenly salvation. Last Sunday, we looked at the first action that we are to be about that we are to engage in in the world, that we are to continue to give out of a heart of generosity, but also not become a slave to the material world around us. Today, I want to give us five more things that we are to be engaging in until Christ returns. Five more. There are still two more left in this chapter. Those will be covered this coming Wednesday night, and actually Kelly is going to be preaching that sermon, so come out and be a part of that. But five actions that we are to be engaging in until Christ's return from Luke 21. The first one we see here is that Jesus tells us to keep our ears on him. We are to keep our ears on Jesus. Normally we say keep our eyes on Jesus, don't we? But we are to keep our ears tuned in to the voice of Jesus in the last days so that we will not be fooled. Because it is possible for you to be fooled. It is possible for me to be fooled. Verse 8, he says, see that you are not led astray. Notice where the responsibility is. He says, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand, but do not go after them. One of the struggles of our age is we struggle differentiating between the voice of God and all the other voices that are around us. We also struggle differentiating between the voice of God and our own voice. Our voice that is fueled by our own desires. But we have to remember that Jesus has made a promise. Jesus has given us a promise. And that promise centers on the fact that we can actually know when he is speaking to us. The promise is found in John 10, 27. It's that famous passage where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Notice the progression of the sentence. My sheep hear my voice. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. We can actually hear his voice, and he speaks to us because he knows us, meaning that there is a knowing relationship that has been established between the sheep and the shepherd. And the result of this knowing relationship and the result of us hearing his voice is that we will follow him. We will follow him because we hear him speaking to us. We will follow him because we trust the voice that is speaking to us. And yes, it is true, there's a lot of white noise and loud noise in the world around us. And yes, it is true, sometimes we muffle the voice of God in our own lives. All of that is true, but this promise is also true. We can actually hear God speaking to us so that we will not be fooled by the false teachers and the false prophets and the antichrist, plural, that are already in the world. And please hear me. I'm not saying that God's going to speak to you in some way that contradicts Scripture. I want to be very clear on that. The primary way in which God does speak to us is through Scripture, and he said a whole lot. But our charge is to keep our ears in tune with Jesus so that we will not be led astray. And again, notice where the responsibility lies. The responsibility to not stray is actually placed on us. It's placed on us. It is our choice to be disobedient or obedient sheep. It is our choice to listen or to not listen, which means it's our choice on whether or not we are fooled by the false antichrist, people who are antichrist, people all throughout the world. The responsibility is on us. 
And so we must keep our ears tuned to Jesus' voice so that when he speaks, we know that it is him, and then we follow accordingly. The second thing is that we are to keep being a witness Keep being a witness. In fact, Jesus says that this time at the end, when everything seems to be going crazy around you, is the prime time to be a witness in the world. In verse 13 through 15, Jesus says, this will be your opportunity. When all these things are taking place, it seems like the world is going crazy. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. And then he says, settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer He says, don't study for the test. In verse 15, he says, For I will give you a mouth, and I will give you wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Jesus says that persecution is the opportunity for us to bear witness. One word in Greek, it means to live with a testimony, be a living testimony. And as we face persecution that's directed at us or that's happening around us, it is our steadfastness and our faith in him that produces a testimony for other people to see. And here's the thing about this. You don't have to try to go create your testimony. So many times we think, I just need to get a testimony like I can buy one on a shelf. We don't need to create your testimony. Your testimony is the lived experience that you have with Jesus as both Savior and Lord of your life. There are moments of salvation and there are moments of submission. There are these moments when God saves us. I'm not talking about saved for eternity. I'm talking about when he intervenes in your life, when he saves you from this circumstance or that circumstance or from this thing happening, when his hand of protection is upon you. All of that is a part of your testimony. But there are also moments of submission when Jesus is Lord. There are moments when you say, I don't do that because Jesus is Lord and I want to be obedient to him. Both of those things, when God's hand intervenes in our life or when we bow our knee to him, both of those are ways in which the world sees us living presently with Jesus, and it is a testimony to them. And then whenever we open our mouths and we share the ways in which God has intervened in our life, we share the ways in which we submit ourselves to him, that's when our history becomes our testimony. You see, what you've done in your past is your history, but what God has done in your past is your testimony. And when we live that before others and when we share that with others, that is how we witness to a lost and dying world. And Jesus says, don't think about how to formulate the answers. Don't try to meditate on the answers before you get asked the question. And then he gives us another promise. The promise is not just that we will know his voice. The promise is... Also, is when he speaks to us, he will give us a heavenly wisdom that we need in the moment. That's why in verse 15, he says, I will give you a mouth, that's the instrument, and wisdom, that's the need. Jesus will give us these opportunities in real time, in real space, as he is walking through these situations with us right by our side. And he says, I'm going to help you have an answer for the adversaries that you will face. He says, don't prepare. I'm with you. I'll whisper it in your ear. And that's why he says in verse 19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. So we're to keep our ears in tune with Jesus. We are to keep being a witness. Number three, we must keep trusting God's word. In the midst of all that Jesus is saying in chapter 21, in verse 22, there's this little phrase that's so important. And the phrase is, to fulfill all that is written. Jesus says, I know that the days are going to be days of vengeance, but all of this is taking place to fulfill all that is written. 
We need to remember that God is fulfilling his words that he has spoken through the prophets and also that he has spoken through the apostles. Jesus is calling on his followers to remember that he will fulfill all, every single word, not some of, not a lot of, not most of, but he will fulfill all that is written. And a part of our responsibility to living in the last days is to make sure that we are saturating our heart and mind in his word. We have to know it before we can trust it. We have to know it before we can trust it. Because we all have those experiences just like Jesus had when we find ourselves being led by the Spirit into the wilderness and all of a sudden temptation comes. And the question is, how do we combat that? What came out of Jesus was the living Word of God. And that's what He wants for us as well. As we live in the wilderness in last days, we have to know God's Word so that we can put it into practice, so that we can trust it. We don't trust the leather cover. We don't trust the emblem on the front of it. We don't trust the book that just sits at a distance on a coffee table. We trust the life-giving, God-revealing, all-sufficient Word of God, which means we have to know it. And just as we are responsible for not being led astray, we are also responsible for our own ignorance. Please hear me. You are responsible for your own ignorance. In so many ways in life, we like to plead ignorance, don't we? We like to say, well, I didn't know. Not my fault. No one told me. Sorry. You have that Bible there in your hand or the phone in your pocket. And you can read it at any moment of every day. It's amazing how that we can know stats of backup players on college football teams, but when it comes to finding a verse, we have to do a Google search. We are without excuse, my friends. Jesus has told us. The Father has spoken. He has given us his word. Ignorance is not a card we get to play. That's why we focus on Sunday school classes, small groups, the word in worship. We want to know God's word so that we can put it into practice and so that we can live it and so that we can trust it. Because, my friends, we are in the last days. So our ear has to stay tuned to Jesus' voice. We have to keep being a witness. We keep trusting his word. But also, number four, we have to keep looking for the Redeemer. We keep our eyes focused, looking for the Redeemer. The image that he uses here is we are to stand ready. Verse 27, he says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Every moment of every day, we are drawing nearer to the moment when Christ will come on the clouds. I love that image. It was God who surrounded Mount Sinai with the people of Israel with the cloud that represents his full presence that is going to come. And when Jesus comes, he will come with power and great glory, it says. This is a power that the world has not witnessed yet. This is a glory that the greatest paintings of the world cannot depict. But we will see it when he comes. Jesus tells us that when these things begin to take place, we have to straighten up and raise our heads and we do this because the King of Kings is coming. We do this because the Lord of Lords is going to appear. And so we stand ready, always prepared for that moment. That's what Jesus is telling us. Jesus says, be ready for that moment when your redemption appears. And again, the Redeemer is going to come. He's going to appear in all of his glory. 
This is the great and glorious moment that Paul speaks about in the book of Philippians when he says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because they'll see him. Everyone will see. So we have to keep our ears in tune to God's voice, to the voice of the shepherd. We have to keep being a witness. We have to keep trusting God's word. We have to keep standing ready, looking for his return. And then number five, we have to recognize, keep recognizing the times we are living in. It's so easy to try to block this out. But in verse 29, he told them a parable. He said, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. He's saying, you know how to interpret the seasons based off a tree. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus, again, draws on their knowledge of agriculture. He tells them, you know how to manage the fig tree. But do you know how to manage to see, to recognize life? What Jesus is doing here, he's saying, you know how to understand and interpret the earthly things, but do you know how to understand and interpret the heavenly things? Jesus is saying, I want you to know. I want you to know the days that you are living in. In our life, many times we talk about the individual seasons that we go through in life, and we even have categories for them, and there's expectations with those categories, right? When you're a young parent, you're supposed to do certain things or not do certain things, and when you're an empty nester, you're supposed to do certain things or not do certain things. When you're retired, you're supposed to do certain things, not do certain things. We even have broad generalizations about those, and we talk about that in great deal, and we try to prepare for those seasons, and Jesus is saying, all that is well and good, but you know how to prepare for the next season of salvific history. And again, he's saying to his disciples, I want you to be prepared because, verse 32, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. And then he says, heaven and earth will pass away. Oh, yes, they will one day, but my words will not. What I'm saying to you will not pass. It's going to take place, and you're going to see it, he says. The generation that he is talking to is going to know his words are true. And whenever we read that sentence in English, a lot of times we say, well, you know, did all this already happen? And the, the two words taken place means to come to exist, to come into being, to be started. Jesus is telling his followers, you're going to see this get started. And certainly they did. All the events that began to happen in their lives leading up to 70 A.D., and the devastation that happened in Jerusalem on that day, and then all the way through, they saw it take place. There was a generation standing in front of Jesus who was listening to him say this on this day, and they saw it begin. But one day there's coming another generation who will also trust in his words. And I do not know when that generation will be here, but there will be another generation who will see it end. There's a generation that saw his first advent there will be a generation that will see his second advent. And my friends, for those of us who are Christians, I only want to talk to Christians for just a moment. So if you, you're a Christian, what I want to say is this. Whenever it comes to this topic, the topic of Christ's return, so many times we get nervous or we're filled with fear or our selfishness kicks in. Oh, there's things I haven't experienced and done and this and that. All of a sudden, all this begins to well up in us and all these emotions and all these thoughts happen with us. Listen, one of the things that we see over and over, the testimony of Scripture, the testimony throughout history is that the second coming of Christ is a moment of pure, unfiltered joy. 
It is that moment when Jesus makes all wrongs right. It's that moment when everything that needs to be vindicated is vindicated. It's that moment when every healing that needs to happen ultimately comes to pass. It's the moment when everything that has gone wrong since the fall is now restored and renewed when he comes again. And so we should look at this moment and say, come Lord Jesus. We should look at this moment and it should fill us with joy because one day there's not going to be any more pain. One day there's not going to be any more sorrow. One day all the things that you worry about, worry will be gone because worry does not exist before the throne. And it is a joyful day. And one day we will be together again. Today is a hard day in some ways for me. Some of you know there's a young man that would sit right over here in a wheelchair every Sunday. His name was Ethan. Completely paralyzed. And this past week he went to be with the Lord. And one day, I'm going to get to see Ethan in his full healing. And everything that you're living with right now, every stress, everything that you're living with, it's not going to exist. So what a joyful day. In 1719, Isaac Watts put pen to paper and wrote one of the most famous songs in human history. Famous song. He was gripped by Psalm 98, verse 4, that says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyful song and sing praises. That verse gripped him, and he wrote these words. I'm about to ruin Christmas for you. We normally sing the song at Christmas. It's called Joy to the World. But the song is actually not a Christmas song. The song is not about the incarnation of Christ. The song is about the second coming of Christ. Because what a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. What a day that is going to be when he returns. That will be true joy to the world. Guess what we're about to sing? Stand up.
one voice, joy to the world. 